0: of talking about viruses and vaccines we would be remiss if we didn't discuss the social and health implications of the andrew wakefield vaccine study however this movement against vaccines and questioning their safety and and effectiveness is not pertinent to the midwest so we decided it didn't have a place in our full-length episode on viruses and vaccines instead we got stuck in a layover And in this layover, Jackie is going to break down the Andrew Wakefield paper point by point and talk about why exactly people were so upset about this and why there was no actual reason to be.
1: So Jackie, take us away. Okay, so next we're going to talk about a really, I would say tragic and interesting um, situation in the history of vaccines Um, and probably the biggest stumbling point in modern history for the vaccine field. Um, and so we're gonna talk about controversies surrounding vaccine. We just got done talking about how great vaccines are and how they've saved so many lives. I mean, no doubt about it, vaccines has saved millions of lives. Perhaps even
0: billions of lives over the course of their very brief existence in the course of human history. If viral infections killed so many millions of people if vaccines are honestly so easy and so safe and so affordable then why are people saying no why are people not wanting to vaccinate
1: their own children i mean where did it come from so there has it's it's good to know has always been controversy surrounding vaccines um ever since they came out edward jenner with his cowpox um so there's always been people who are skeptical of them And it's good to have a little healthy bit of skepticism about anything and be a little concerned. Um, Don't just blindly say yes to a man wanting to inject you full of sick cows. (gasps) Think about it first. (laughs) That's a bumper sticker. (laughs) Choices. (laughs) So it's, I think, for me, at least in my lifetime, um, the biggest problem surrounding vaccines can be traced back, or the biggest concern um, uh, about vaccines can be traced back to one A research article published in 1998 by Andrew Wakefield, and this was the paper um, that showed a potential causal link between the MMR, measles, mumps, and rubella vaccine, and autism. And so I thought today, because this I mean there's probably very few instances where a report like this has had such a huge impact on public health, I thought it'd be worthwhile to look at that paper, look at the report um, and what it actually stated, and then also kind of talk about the response to it, both in the media, in the public, and then also the scientific community. And um, I think I'm gonna spoil it right now and just say that this this study has been so thoroughly debunked and retracted um, that, that it's, it's not a good report. <laughs>
0: It was originally published in the New England Journal of Medicine, right? Lancet. 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 Oh, excuse me. Yes. So it was published in Lancet, which is a very good,
1: oh, yeah, very reputable journal. Mm-hmm. And
0: that was probably part of why this gained so much steam so fast. And another part of it was because not too long after this was published, people started talking about it, and celebrities started to publicly endorse the anti-vaccine. Theory. I mean, uh, notably, Jenny McCarthy mm-hmm. has been one of the big proponents of anti-vaccination after one of her children was was born autistic. Yes. Yes. Um, which is really, really unfortunate, uh, but is also why we need to talk about these things because, unfortunately, although there are probably almost every scientist who's looked at the vaccines and autism Wakefield study has debunked it up and down, left and right. Uh, people are probably more likely to listen to a celebrity than a scientist on a lot of these things. They have a bigger platform and they've got a louder voice.
1: Oh, yeah. Well, and I I think, too, it's part of the tragedy in this is that, I mean, if I didn't know any science whatsoever, and even knowing some, if somebody told me that there was a potential potential link between tomato juice and autism – you better believe I'm not going to let my kid drink tomato juice because it's really scary. Case. Like, it's, I mean, it's just terrifying. You don't want mm-hmm. your kids to have autism, and you don't want to feel like you had a, a part in that. It's just terrifying. And on the other side of that, too, is you don't want your kids
0: to have autism, which is something that you carry with you for your whole life. Um, but you probably, if you are... Born in this time, so few people actually know people who have had measles, who have had mumps, who have had rubella. Um, like you, don't have that image in your head of what this vaccine is is saving your child from. You don't have that idea of what it looks like when your kid is sick with one of these illnesses. So it becomes removed. You're vaccinating against something that you think is isn't real just to which could potentially give your kid a very real problem Mm -hmm. autism so i can definitely see how that mindset works because at the end of the day everyone wants their kids to be the happiest and healthiest they can be
1: Mm -hmm. yeah and essentially what we're going to talk about now though is that that kind of initial study creating a link between these two things the mmr vaccine and autism is really not founded on any scientific merit whatsoever um And so we'll just jump into it um, and talk about exactly what that study said. So it was published in The Lancet, like you said, um, and it essentially followed 12 patients. They were children between the ages of 3 and 9, and um, essentially they found that all of these children had developmental problems that they linked to autism, and they also had gastrointestinal problems, so GI problems. And in the discussion of this paper, um, the author—there um, were 12 authors, but the main author was Andrew Wakefield, this physician in the UK—and he um, said in the discussion that these. Um, Oh, what's it called? These symptoms, these developmental symptoms and or problems and the GI problems appeared approximately six days after receiving the MMR vaccine. And so they published this report. It was peer reviewed. So other scientists looked at this report. They said, okay. And um, from actually interviews with the editors of the Lancet, they actually kind of took away from this report that it was more important this GI um, potential autism link. They thought that this was a new disorder that he was characterizing. They kind of didn't even look into the vaccine part of it. Um, so they published it kind of with this intention that oh, this this other stuff's going on. It's more about the GI track and the v- developmental disorder. So Jackie, MMR mis- or the MMR you get that
0: at there's two doses of that correct yes so do you remember if this was after the first shot at you know the 12 to 15 months or the second shot
1: the which is uh recommended between four and six years old so yeah, it has two two boosters or like the minute shot and then the Mm -hmm. booster um so these kids so that's this is part of the the controversy too so that'll get into, the timing is very important. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanna say it was it would have been around their first shot of the MMR vaccine. Uh, I don't know that for certain, but it that's timing is very important. Um, because like the author said, that there was this, this t- temporal link, this time link between getting the vaccine and these symptoms appearing. Um, so they published this report and immediately the media took up this story and they saw this, causal link between vaccines and autism and it just snowballed from there. Um, So this is terrifying. Of course it was terrifying.
0: And also for the record, 12 children a study with 12 as an observational study does have merit to a certain extent. But trying to say, so it's really hard in science to say something causes something else. That's very tough. I mean, there are many papers and many people whose whole careers have been built on trying to say X causes Y, mm-hmm. and with the following of twelve children, that is a really, really small number to be working with uh, for for something like for something like this. And since then, there have been analyses of thousands of mm-hmm. people of children, and this has disproved this any sort of causal relationship between vaccines and autism Mm -hmm. but the fact that there was 12 initially and this still got picked up and ran with by the media is pretty upsetting
1: oh yeah no it's i mean okay yeah let's let's just jump into that (laughs) so you're right like 12 is not a big number oftentimes when they do these type of studies it's like the first step in studying a new disorder so they'll, they'll bring in a case study or a case series of a very small amount of, of people and then build from there to these really big studies to confirm the findings. Um, but so one of the main problems with this is not only the small number, but the kids that were chosen, the case selection. So they chose the cases based on the symptoms they already had. Ooh. So, yeah, exactly. You can't so, do that. No, no. Okay, so I, I was trying to think of an example of this today. So if I had a hypothesis that eating pepperoni pizza made you super smart, and so <laughs> I went to like a gifted class at a high school, and I was like, hey, have some pizza. And then they all ate pepperoni pizza and then took a test, and I recorded, oh, look, they're all super smart, and they ate pizza. Therefore, pizza, pepperoni pizza makes you smart. If only. <laughs> <laughs> but that's, you see what I'm saying? Like you don't, a good experiment doesn't happen when you set up to prove your hypothesis. You're, you need to not weight it in your favor. If you wanna see if there's a link between developmental disorders and a vaccine, you need a completely randomized selection. You don't go after kids that already are predisposed or already exhibiting symptoms of having developmental disorders.
0: Exactly. Some of those would probably make it into your study if you were doing it appropriately, but you would be pulling patients from a number of different locations with probably no pre-existing symptoms whatsoever when at least they were recruited for the study Mm -hmm. as a good study, and it would be blinded, so you wouldn't be trying to pull these people out, these patients out of the lineup who who had these other sorts of symptoms popping Mm -hmm. up like throughout the course of the
1: study and um and this is going to play a big part of this but um and just get out on the table so andrew wakefield had lots of conflicts of interest that he never disclosed in the publication and then afterwards so this study was actually funded in large part by legal fees because he was mounting a lawsuit against vaccine-producing produ- companies. What was his problem with vaccine-producing companies? What'd they ever do to him? Well, funny you mention that. He was actually developing his own measles vaccine. You've got to be kidding me. No. No, he was. <laughs> like He published a paper six months before this study showing his own measles vaccine.
0: Oh, and for the record, the MMR vaccine that this alleged causal link was in the Andrew Wakefield study one of those M's stands for measles so he's saying that this vaccine could be causing this really horrible developmental disorder that could be traumatizing for parents to knowingly give to their child but here is my own measles vaccine which won't do that
1: yep. yikes oh yeah huge conflicts of interest huge like i yeah oh and like it goes further So, the lawsuit... So, he was given funds by the court to conduct this study because they wanted to show if there was a link between vaccines and developmental disorders. And so, they gave him money. He never disclosed that. He actually was paying... A lawyer on the side as part of this study—it was all intertwined. So this investigation unfolded over the course of twelve years after the initial release of the report. So this was a long, drawn-out um, uh, investigation. But the damage was already done by oh, the yeah. time it hit During, the
0: presses. Boom.
1: Oh yeah, no, and immediately you had other um, scientific experts stepping in and writing, um, writing. Editorials to the Lancet, being like, you know, we're really concerned that this is going to affect adversely affect vaccine usage, and that we really think that this is um, very detrimental to public health, and we'd like you to consider, you know, retracting this paper or retracting the discussion that was making this causal link that they really didn't have basis for at that time. Um, So from the beginning, you had people outspoken, but it took 12 years for the full retraction to take place and for Andrew Wakefield to actually be, um, to lose his licensure. And he he was, he was found very guilty of um, uh, fabricating data. Oh, and the, yeah, we haven't even got to the fabrication of the data itself um, and very unethical practices. And I do, I, I wanna make the point that it's, it's very much okay, and oftentimes the case that scientists are wrong. And we're usually wrong in our interpretation of data. However, the assumption, though, is that the data itself has a lot of integrity. And that is correct. The The data is
0: supposed to be able to speak for themselves even if the scientist has misinterpreted. Because we have practices, we have standards, we have peer review. And these things are supposed to maintain the integrity of the data that is being published. Mm-hmm. And I think this is a very glaring example of when this peer review system has failed, it happens. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, we make the assumption that scientists are being honest and that they're reporting the data as is. Um, and sometimes we, we don't know the whole picture. Something we, we discover A, B, C, and we make conclusion X and Y. But five years down the line, we realize, oh my gosh, there was D and E that we had to worry about. Let's redo this study and find out what happened. Um, That's very different from being like, well, I don't like A or B, so I'm just going to talk about C and make up D and E. Or I'm going (laughs) to specifically leave out data that support Mm -hmm. A and B or the
0: outcomes that I'm not interested in. Or to think about it more nefariously the outcomes that are less financially lucrative to me I'm going to throw those out and I'm going to knowingly not
1: include that data and that is a very huge lack of scientific integrity yeah. and and that's exactly what happened here so not only did he have these financial ties these legal ties um, he had a lot to gain by creating this published connection between autism and vaccines in the MMR vaccine um, so he actually did, it came out that he fabricated that data. So the big part there was the, the time link between getting the vaccine and showing these symptoms. He said eight out of the 12 um, children showed symptoms with around six days after receiving the vaccine. Um, when a reporter went back and interviewed several of the parents and showed them the published data, they themselves said that is not accurate. Some of them said that the kids had symptoms well before they got the vaccines. Some of them said they had um, problems way after, months after. Um, So, I mean, a lot of that data is just false. Um, The GI data, so they would send off for um, these kids to have colonoscopies. And the first drafts of the first reports of those actually said that they were all fairly normal, except for a few. And then surprisingly, on a review of that data, suddenly they were abnormal. And they had all these new things that they noticed in the reports um, that they were having these GI problems that they did not have on the first go through. Um, Which is actually
0: interesting and a little upsetting too, because it confounds the data because a year ago, it had been reported by a fairly reputable group that um, the microbiome, so the populations of bacteria that live in our intestines, can actually change. And the, the question is whether or not it's cause or effect, but they can change based on when people are sick or not, or when people have a certain disorder. And there's actually been the suggestion of a link between the different populations of bacteria in your mm-hmm. gut and autism. And so what mm-hmm. people are trying to do now in the microbiome world is try to pick back through because they found that in certain patients with autism, they had a imbalance of gut microbiome mm-hmm. uh, compared to people who do not have autism. So this study, which could have actually, if done properly, could have shed some light one way or the other and maybe sort of started to pave the way uh just further muddied the waters and just put us way farther back in understanding not only autism but also the other symptoms that were associated with this
1: yeah we're gonna have to do an entire episode on the microbiome because it is way cool <laughs> <laughs> oh fun fact you have more bacteria in your body than you do cells like human cells human yeah. cells fact so we're gonna do an episode on that sometime it's my microbiome that likes sugar so much Actually, probably true. Ah. Yeah, so there's, I mean, so the major findings of this study were false. They were falsified. They were fabricated. Ten out of the 12 authors said they had no idea. They had trusted um, the the lead author, Andrew Wakefield, um, in his conclusions and in his integrity of um, collecting and analyzing the data Um, and afterwards came out and condemned it. They took their name off of the paper. Um, I believe that took place four years after the initial publication. Um, But then 12 years later, the Lancet took the entire paper down and said, nope, after the full investigation. Um, So I mean, I hope we've demonstrated to you that top to bottom, this this article is not a good one
0: (laughs) no and it's it's okay to be skeptical and to question things and i think that actually jackie and i would both agree that everyone should question almost everything but if you're going to base your skepticism on anything this platform is the wrong one to do it off of base it up base your opinions off of good science and we will hopefully direct you towards some good science um and hopefully we've convinced you that this is bad science and this is not the foundation that you want to build your house on when you're talking about the health and the well-being of your children or yourself, because adults can get vaccines too. And you probably should. If you yeah. haven't. Because vaccines are really beneficial to the population as a whole. Um, so a lot of people, we the controversy about vaccines, a lot of it is centered around autism and vaccine side effects. But... Um, Adults can get vaccines too, kids who are growing up get vaccines, but there are also people who can't get vaccines. And part of the reason why vaccination is so powerful is it not only protects you from getting sick with whatever you're vaccinated against with, but it protects you from being a carrier. For that illness, when you're sick with a viral illness, you're coughing, you're sneezing, you're leaking out of holes, and like touching doorknobs and stuff like that. I'm sorry, it's gross, but it's true, and that's how vac- that's how viruses travel. You cough, you sneeze, you wipe your runny eyes, and then you touch a doorknob, or you're at work for some reason because you don't have a- because your work won't give you enough sick leave, and yeah, that's how it spreads. And when you're vaccinated and you don't get sick, that helps other people not get sick as well because there are many people in this country, in the world who can't get vaccinated, Um, myself included, because I have a history with an autoimmune disorder that makes me very sensitive to viral infections. So after I got sick um, with this autoimmune disorder, I can't get vaccines anymore. Babies before the age of, what is it, 12 months? Before the age of one year old or so, before they get their first round of vaccinations, they're very susceptible to illnesses. Um, people who have been receiving chemotherapy are often immune suppressed. Yeah. People with autoimmune disorders like myself again. And it's so vaccines, a lot of people like to talk about potential problems with developmental things, which is from the Wakefield study fairly well debunked. But vaccines do a lot of good. They keep you healthy and they help keep the people around you healthy. You might not know it. We don't all wear T-shirts saying I'm immune (laughs) compromised please vaccinate yourself. But it's true when you vaccinate yourself and you spend time with someone who maybe is receiving treatment for cancer someone Mm. who has a new baby, you're, you're helping to protect them as well.
1: Yeah, no, there's, there's a lot of people who want to get vaccines, but physically cannot. It's a medical condition. They cannot have vaccines. So, I mean, it's kind of the job of the rest of us to help Mm -hmm. them and protect them and, And the term for this is the herd immunity,
0: which is really cute because the idea is that the handful of people like myself and otherwise able-bodied 27-year-old woman are nestled in the midst of this herd and most people in the herd are vaccinated. So I'm surrounded by all sorts of people who have all their vaccines so I don't get sick or well, I do, but not that much and uh, (laughs) not measles and um, and they protect me And in return, they're vaccinated. So if I were to get sick, they wouldn't get sick. Or if they Mm -hmm. would, it'd be less. But there's a really cool diagram on this that I saw on the internet. But when fewer and fewer people in the herd are vaccinated, you don't have those wonderful pockets of protection. So if my sister is unvaccinated and I'm unvaccinated, it doesn't matter why. And we spend a lot of time together. She gets sick. I get sick. Maybe I go see a friend who had a new baby. Maybe that baby gets sick. Like, it's easier mm-hmm. for things to spread if people who aren't vaccinated are in closer proximity. So that's why we need our vaccinated herds.
1: Oh, yeah. No, and when people elect to not get vaccines, not for medical reason, but just a personal choice, you don't believe in vaccines, um, If you, it, you can lose that herd immunity very quickly. And that's how we end up with outbreaks. I think there's one, uh, Disneyland, Disney World, mm-hmm. um, a measles outbreak. And I just like that, it, you can really lose the advantages of having that herd immunity and protecting the most vulnerable um, people of the population.
0: Yeah, so they're important, and we hope that this has given you a little bit more clarification on some of the
1: the mystery, the mystique, the intrigue surrounding vaccines, which are awesome. Oh yes, and if you have any questions or comments, maybe we missed something, uh, please feel free to email us or um, look on our blog. We'll post um, references and articles that we we think might be interesting to you. Talk to us on Facebook. Um, We're probably going to talk at a later date about the
0: really, really cool uh, thing that is the Gardasil vaccine, which can actually vaccinate you against a virus which can cause cancer. You can become vaccinated against cancer. That is the best thing ever. That is.
1: There's there's very, very few things you can do (laughs) like that. (laughs) So talk to us about vaccines. We are on Facebook.
0: Email us. We'd love to hear from you. You can write us a letter if you'd like. I'd like that. Um, So the next part of the segment doesn't exist yet, but it's going to be really cool. We're going to talk with a pediatrician.